if you're a doctor and you are awakened to what's happened, if, if you know that it's wrong and it's not right, don't sit by the sidelines anymore. Don't let just Peter McCulloch and Dr. Malone and Pierre Corey and all these courageous doctors who have stepped forward to warn the public, they need help. We literally need thousands of doctors who are aware of the problem to join together, there is safety in numbers, and be honest and truthful with the American public. I'm begging doctors, I'm begging nurses to come forward, join together as one massive group, and put an end to this insanity. And help restore yourselves to the position that I think you all thought you'd be in going through medical school and taking that Hippocratic Oath, being loyal first to your patients and being the one to call the shots when it comes to how you care for your patients. I'm just, I'm begging doctors, you have to step up the plate. All of you watching us who know well what's wrong with the system that devalues your medical judgment and your experience and just pushes the newest, latest, most profitable product onto the public. And wouldn't it be nice if a few more senators made that call, including maybe a few from the other side of the aisle? <laughs> Dreaming. Welcome to the FLCCC Weekly Update. I'm Betsy Ashton, creative director of this alliance of medical professionals and friends, others who support their efforts to honor the Hippocratic Oath and to put patients first. So here we are on the week that First Lady Jill Biden had the inevitable Paxlovid rebound. She's got COVID again. Is that how you tell that it's working? And... The latest dance craze has been found. It's called the CDC Shuffle. And uh, we learned that Dr. Fauci is job hunting. Uh, we wonder if he needs uh, maybe a little help with his resume. We'll show you our statement about that announcement a little bit later. But first, know that we have two nurses behind the scenes answering questions that you type into the Q&A right now and all throughout the program. And the doctors you're about to meet will also be back after they discuss an important topic to take more of your questions uh, right here on screen. The topic is COVID-19, histamines, and the gut. How interesting. So let's bring on two doctors who have stepped forward and who have been effectively treating COVID, including patients who came to them after suffering for weeks or months with terrible symptoms. Welcome back our own Dr. Keith Berkowitz and our good friend, Dr. Robin Rose. Take it away. What is the connection between COVID and the gut? So what's so interesting now, we, we've been talking about histamines, we talk about, and what's interesting about it, and Betsy and I have talked about this earlier, is we're now looking at the Omicron uh, variant. What's so different about the Omicron variant is that we're seeing actually histamines play a bigger role as opposed to what we saw in alpha, beta, and delta. Omicron really has much more basis on histamines and actually its impact on the digestive tract. So today we're gonna to talk about it. And you know I'm so lucky to have Dr. Rose with me, an integrative gastroenterologist to help me explain that and answer our questions. 
Hi, everyone. Thanks for having me. Um, I'm delighted to be here as always and educate everyone on the newest and latest things that we're finding to be super important in treating long hauler COVID and even acute COVID and even other chronic diseases as well. I think this is a tribute we've learned a lot, you know, through this whole pandemic. So maybe we can start with the slides and we'll describe what is histamines? You taking it away? <laughs> <laughs> Thank God I'm not the one technically doing this. We'd be in a lot of trouble. <laughs> so, so as he, he's, he's starting the screen sharing, what we'll talk about, everyone knows what histamines are. We've had allergic reactions, right? An allergic reaction is actually an overload of histamines. Anytime we have any kind of inflammatory process, the first response of the body is actually to make histamines, whether it's a cut, whether it's a, a reaction to food, whether it's um, an infection, we'll see that. And it's a, a mate, important part of innate immunity. And we'll talk about how histamines can be helpful, but when they last a long time and, we, and lead into chronic inflammation, they can be really problematic. And one of the causes both of, we see the distress in acute COVID as an Omicron, but also in low, long COVID and other spike protein injuries. So what it is, it's a major mediator of the acute inflammatory process, right? And we look at hypersensitivity responses. And, and what it is, it actually leads to what we call chronic inflammation. Olivia, can you go back one slide? Great, perfect. And what happens is it, it influences how our immune system works. And one of the things Dr. Rose and I will talk about and how elevated histamine levels can trigger this response, which is really dysfunctional, called mast cell activation syndrome. And how mast cells, you know, impact multiple organs, but really have the largest impact in the intestines. And, and this excessive production of mast cells can trigger allergic-like symptoms. I don't know if anyone's noticed, allergies are way up this year. We're now seeing this new term I've never used before called summer allergies. People are constant nasal congestion and other issues related to that histamine response. And in my patients, when I actually draw blood levels, I'm seeing very elevated histamine levels, as high as 80 to 100 times normal. If I can get the next slide. And what's, what's also interesting when we talk about one of the symptoms of long COVID is histamines actually can cause issues in the brain and lead to what we call neurovascular inflammation, including brain fog, cognitive impairment, and fatigue. And we see that a lot. In fact, actually, there's some research studies looking at things like Parkinson's and Alzheimer's indicating histamines as one of the main causes of the inflammation they see in their brain. Next slide, please. So how does this, and, and Dr. Rose is gonna talk more about this, how does this impact our gut microbiome? And if Robin can explain what we see with COVID-19. So we know that um, the gut microbiome is severely destroyed. Um, once we're infected with a virus, many patients that probably have more severe disease to begin with likely have a severe dysbiosis or imbalance of the gut microbiome to begin with. Um, but we are we do see from many studies that after infection as well, um, there's a significant um, there's been a significant assault on the gut microbiome and long lasting changes. What's interesting with with uh, mast cell activation syndrome is that, you know, many mast cells are very prevalent in on the mucosal surfaces. So your, you know, your 
your nasal passageways, your the lining of your lungs, uh, the lining of your gut. And you know, your gut, aside from your skin or your integumentary system, is has the largest surface area. It's the size of um the square footage of uh one to two tennis courts. So you can imagine the amount of mast cells that are living there. And we know that mast cells have ACE2 receptor and the S1 spike or the S1 you know, spike protein binds to those receptors and activates the mast cells. And then the mast cells then release thousands, hundreds, thousands of different substances from different pro, from cytokines, chemokines, um, intro, different interleukins, um, histamine, and many, many other substances. And what happens is it just becomes a vicious cycle, um, a vicious um, cycle that is very, very hard to stop. And that's why antihistamines um, and other uh, medications that are really important in, you know, quelling allergies, allergy-like response, allergy type responses, um, histamine or mast cell activation syndrome in general. That's why they work really well when treating uh, both acute COVID and long hauler COVID. I have a question, but before you go on further, can you explain just what the mast, this is MAST, what mast cells really are? They're part of the immune system. They're part of the immune response. So they're there. That's why they're there in such large, in such um, large amounts, like I said, in all the different mucosal surfaces of your body, because that's where we're first exposed to different viruses, bacteria, and toxins. And so the mast cells are there to release these specific, you know, cells to combat um, the infection. However, what happens is, is there's an over-exaggerated response in a lot of people. Um, and that's why this whole sort of like ma- this mast cell activated syndrome sort of goes, you know, out of control and, beca- and becomes exactly what it is, a mast cell activation syndrome, uh, where there's just tons of inflammation and um, all these other sequelae. And, and remember the mast cells are circulating in all your organs and tissues throughout your body. And that's likely why we see um, widespread um, you know, why the widespread, um, what's what I'm looking for response to the, this mast cell activation syndrome. So, so it's like, think of your immune system being in hyperdrive, right? It's you, it's like turned on, it's like turning on a water spigot, but you can't turn it off. So what happens if you can't turn it off, it actually becomes dysfunctional and the immune system doesn't function properly. And it leads to a lot of these, we now know autoimmune issues that people are seeing and chronic inflammatory issues that we're also seeing because of that. So part of this is that there's a part in the gut microbiome called short-chain fatty acids. And why they're so important, they also get disrupted by this process. They have such an important process in actually controlling and regulating glucose and insulin. So people with dysfunctional short-chain fatty acids or lack of short-chain fatty acids are unable, unable to regulate their blood sugar properly. What also happens is they actually, these short chain fatty acids also provide an immune response. What they do is they, we call, and what Dr. Rose said before Robin, is the mucosa, they actually help make mucus to, to actually protect it. They control the pH of the gastrointestinal tract and are so critical because of that in preventing both respiratory and gastrointestinal infections. 
so there's a direct correlation to short chain fatty acid production and because of what you're saying with the increased mucus production and so on and so forth and how many ACE2 receptors, the amount of ACE2 receptors. So the more um, short chain fatty acids you have, which means you have a healthier microbiome, uh, the the, the uh, less ACE2 receptors you have. And so that way, when you're infected with viruses and in particular COVID, if we're talking about that, that's why when you have a unhealthy gut microbiome and not enough short chain fatty acids, the um, virus gains access to the systemic circulation much more easy, easily because there's more ACE2 receptors for it to find and bind to. And what's so interesting, and again, you know, and Robin will explain this, is one of the problems we know is this is where COVID lingers, right? We now know that the virus from studies that people looked at can really last in the gut for over a year at least, right? We've seen at least a year you can find viral remnants within the digestive tract. It's continuing yeah. to cause damage. Yes, um, they've they've done, there's been a few studies already published um, basically, uh, there's one from Stanford university showing that about 4% of people that have had COVID. So one in 25 people, um, are still shedding, uh, viral RNA in the stools, even seven months out. Um, so that's a super important, uh, finding. And then there's other, um, studies that have yet that like are, are, like, you know, currently in peer review um, that shows that viral RNA um, and proteins are detected as well, 230 plus days out of infection. Um, and, the, you know, it's interesting, there's all these viral reservoirs, all these studies are coming out that they think that's why we see the S1 spike. So you have the, you have the virus, if you look onto the left, and the virus has its nucleocapsid which is, you know, and it's, and it has its protein coat. And, and then it has um, the spike, the spikes, which is when we talk about the spikes protein, but then the spike protein is made up of, of two subunits, the S1 and S2 subunit. So when we see this S1, that part of the spike is a viral remnant that's basically floating around. And so if you're, you have these viral reservoirs throughout your body, that's why it keeps shedding these remnants of the virus. And then that, and then the S1 spike then activates the immune system. So you have this constant activation of the immune system, including constant activation of this of these mast cells. And the mast cells are then releasing all of these different um, products, like I talked about before, you know, all the different chemokines, cytokines, as you can see there, TNF alpha, IL-1, IL-6, histamine, uh, leukotrienes, all of these things that just cause a massive um, sort of uh, allergic response throughout our body. But um, it's doing so much more than that, because like I said, we have these mast cells throughout our body. And then if you link that back to having poor gut health, right, and having a leaky gut, that's why these S1 remnants are gaining access to the bloodstream and then finding the mast cells to bind onto. And basically it's this um, continued cell signaling response um, that you don't even need the virus for, you just need these viral particles for. So it's quite fascinating. And that's why people are feeling awful and sick for so long, even after they've been exposed to S1 spike in whatever, which way form we want to talk about. <laughs> and, 
And it's so interesting. Now we're seeing repetitive infections. Today, for example, I actually prescribed penicillin for the first time, I think, in 20 years. I saw a patient with a, 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 a non-group A strep throat, which is very rare and mm-hmm. required penicillin. It's because this immune system, which really starts in the digestive tract, is dysfunctional. And that we're seeing people develop secondary infections. And, and, and Dr. Rose will say, Robin will say, is one of the keys is when we treat individuals now, right? We always start with gut rebuild or gut repair. And I, if, uh, Robin, you go into some of the things you do, when you see sure. someone come in with, yeah. you know, had COVID and now is looking to recover, you know, still may be sick or has recovered and wants to prevent other illnesses from coming later. Right. So, no, I mean, seeing all of this new information and this research basically surfacing around the gut and that the fact that these viral reservoirs, one of the biggest reservoirs is the gut. And so we have to have to really be conscientious about going after that gut and healing up that leaky gut. Super, super important. So again, like we don't keep getting these S1 spikes or these viral remnants being able to like leave the gut and then constantly activate the immune system. Um, and, you know, there's so many other things that play a role in that. Um, before I got into treatment, Keith, I did want to mention too, that I feel like, you know, also there's so many different diseases and conditions related to mast cell activation syndrome. And it's super, it's really important and, and super important. I feel like to talk about because all of the, you know, people that have issues or that have underlying, you know, mold exposure, Lyme disease, autism, autoimmunity, like I could go on and on. And I think that these people are also much more susceptible to going on to long hauler COVID because of this underlying sort of mass cell issue that they already sort of have. And the more I think about it, when I think about my patients with long hauler COVID, they all to a certain degree, like, I don't even care if their histamine level is not elevated. It is this mast cell activation response that's totally, you know, part of the whole issue and problem. And this mast cell activation, like most of the signs and symptoms that we see in these patients is what you would see if like we didn't have COVID and you think about just mast cell activation syndrome as like a standalone condition, all of these things from, you know, the POTS, dysautonomia, GI issues, um, respiratory issues, like all of these things are part of that mast cell activation syndrome and that mast cell activation response. So what we should be doing in really everybody is yes, going after the gut, but also helping them out by using these different um, medications and treatments that we would use to basically quell that, that uh, mast cell response. What's so interesting about that. And I, I didn't, you brought up people that seem to get long COVID or, spike protein injured, you know, post-vaccine, mm-hmm. One, mm-hmm. they often have underlying histamine issues to begin with. So people that have underlying histamine issues to begin with then get another exposure to the S1 protein are, we find that they tend to be much more severe, that the symptoms post are the more likely to get long COVID, but also more likely to have more severe symptoms, including, you know, the gut dysbiosis, the gut, um, risk of secondary infections, brain fog, fatigue. We talked about orthostatic hypotension, POTS. 
all that being related. And because histamines play a role in a lot of parts of the body. One thing I didn't mention before, histamines also affect your exercise tolerance. The, the body, when you actually exercise, recruits histamines in order to increase muscle function. So you need a functioning histamine basically for the whole body to work. And, and I think when that's dysfunctional, that really creates a lot of issues from exercise intolerance to congestion to gut issues. Yeah, I, I, I also, you know, I feel like we covered a lot of this. Like, like I said, there's there's like major hyperinflammatory response. But I did want to say to the children that, um, you know, present with that, um, you know, multi-system inflammatory syndrome. Um, it really is, and it is mast cell activation syndrome, in in really in and of itself. And the, um, you know, there was this one really great study done at one hospital where they had done all these interventions on these children that did not work. I mean, you know, everything you can think of. And then they got um, compassionate use for a peptide called lorazotide. And lorazotide is a zonulin inhibitor. And zonulin plays a key role in leaky gut. And once they were able to get these children on lorazotide, um, they got better. That's when they got better. So it really shows you how key the gut is and the health of the gut and having, you know, a nice tight intestinal, you know, mucosal barrier. So like things just can't get through. Right. And because remember your food and like, un, you know, undigested protein particles, your body and your immune system sees that as foreign. And then what happens is, is your body makes antibodies to those things. And that's why that then triggers autoimmunity in a specific subset of the population or other things. So again, it's going back to the gut and going back to the gut when it comes to acute COVID, long hauler COVID, and all of these other chronic disease processes. And obviously even MCAS, as we've already talked about, mast cell activation syndrome. So it's interesting. Someone started talking about diet. So one of the ways we can see it is when people react to certain foods or alcohol right? Then they have reactions. They have histamine type reactions to what we call high histamine foods. And that is also pretty diagnostic and helpful. And I would probably say, I, I probably saw four or five people this week where they're, all their symptoms were really tied to histamines, especially I saw young people. And that was really driving a lot of their symptoms from brain fog to fatigue, to um, digestive issues, to congestion, and again, that's more and more common we're seeing today, even much more common than we saw earlier in the pandemic. Yeah, but what the, yeah, right. But the way I do look at it is I think this whole, the mast cell is one of the main immune cells that is being stimulated by the S1 spike. And so no matter what the patient has and, you know, whether or not they do have these elevations and some of these markers for mast cell activation syndrome, I still think there's an underlying issue with the mast cell in general and this vicious cycle of what they're releasing constantly, this constant, you know, cell signaling that's happening with that S1 spike. And so I do believe, you know, we should be really, um, you know, using these antihistamines, H1, NH2 blockers, and other things such as that to really be treating these people in general. Like it really should be part of the, you know, the regimen. So Robin, why don't you go into what those different ones are, what you use typically when you're yeah. treating? 
So, so, um, I always, I really go after the, the gut, um, in all my patients and I use, um, specific probiotics, um, more cutting edge ones that I, that I, that people would say don't use probiotics, but I have my hands on one that I really love. So, um, I think it does wonders, um, for basically healing up the gut and also having exerting its effect on the other biomes throughout your body, uh, because of, uh, the, the way these particular bacteria behave. And, um, I also, they also have, um, you know, they secrete the postbiotics, which are the metabolites that the bacteria produce, which are also very healing to the gut and to the rest of your body. I also like L-glutamine. L-glutamine is really important in helping healing up the tight junctions or, you know, those, the junctional proteins that keep each one of your cells like this instead of like this. So it's very healing. So it brings it like here to here and seals, seals up the gut. And clearly I always say food first. So all of our patients, we get on a anti-inflammatory diet, a diet that's filled with all the colors of the rainbow so that you are feeding that gut microbiome what it needs. That gut microbiome wants resistant starches, high fibrous foods, um, and complex carbohydrates. That's its main um, um, mechanism of energy um, for, for energy production. Uh, that's what it prefers well, much more so over protein. So we really, you know, our, our registered dietitians uh, touch our patients all the time. We get them, you know, to sort of shift their thinking around food and nutrition so that they can really be giving the gut microbiome what they need. Because I always say you can't out supplement or out prescribe lifestyle. You just can't do it. But can we help you get to the finish line faster? Sure. Um, the other thing that I use a lot in both um, helping to heal the gut and also um, quell all this immune inflammation is liposomal glutathione. Um, the particular liposomal glutathione that I use has been studied in four different clinical trials, and it actually in vitro or maybe it was in vivo studies, I'm maybe getting confused. Um, it shows that it's actually a thousand times more potent than NAC. And actually this particular form of glutathione pushes right into the cell and is not dependent on the enzymes that you need to build glutathione and then bring it into the cell. So I, that's a other, that's another really big component. And we really move the needle by well, again. So glutathione and what we're saying is a very powerful antioxidant, right? So it deals with oxidative stress and the NEC is N acetylcysteine. Robin, which strains do you try to target? Do you feel that there's certain probiotic strains or beneficial bacteria strains that need to be targeted over others? So, you know, there's a lot of, um, you know, cutting edge testing that's coming to the forefront right now that can actually test what particular strains one is missing. Um, and we, we can try to tailor treatment towards that. I'm actually, um, involved in something right now that that's ongoing, um, that I'm starting at the clinic that we're going to be looking at that, um, and specific strains, you know, that basically do, uh, play a role in insulin glucose and in, in insulin glucose metabolism, um, in testosterone production and, you know, all these different things. So we can tar we can do some targeted testing to see what actual strains are missing, but the studies do show that bifidobacterium, 
um, or the actinobacterium phylum, which bifidobacteria falls under, um, is destroyed, um, you know, post-COVID. So, you know, getting those strains back into them is super duper important. But remember, probiotics are like tourists, okay? So most of them are not sticking, like they're, but why you're getting the effect is because while they're passing through, they're making their metabolites, which are the postbiotics. And it's the postbiotics that help us heal and get better. And what's um, so important, so what's so yeah. interesting about it, sorry to interrupt, is yeah. ivermectin, right? We've talked about so many times, one of the advantages of ivermectin is it actually increases bifidobacterium, right? That we found in studies yeah. and, and vitamin C, my other favorite thing, there's yeah. another one an that can increase bifidobacterium. So that's why it's so critical. And maybe why both of those things, substances we use in treating COVID may have so many secondary benefits besides just a cre- treating the virus itself. Absolutely. And I, the other thing I was going to say was I, I like the soil-based organisms because the soil-based organisms basically help the other when they when they go through when they pass through and the metabolites that they're secreting they help the other species grow they help the bifido grow the lactobacillus grow so i i really really um like using them as well some people ask about prebiotics what do you think of prebiotics and the use of prebiotics prebiotics are great but you really should be getting the pre the prebiotic is your food is the food (laughs) that you eat so if you can, like I said, if you can shift yourself away from the standard American diet and eat, you know, all those colors of the rainbow and vegetables, more vegetables than fruits, but fruits are good. Um, and all those resistance charges, high fibrous foods, all of those things. And when you build your plate, you know, have the protein on the plate for sure. Like if you want a great piece of, you know, regenerative grass-fed, grass-finished meat or organic chicken or um, you know, wild salmon, whatever it is, but it should be the smaller part while the bigger part are all of those colors I was talking about. And maybe some, some, you know, some beans or, uh, you know, uh, certain grains and so on and so forth, but you have to start building your plate differently and that's your prebiotic, right? And everyone's gut microbiome is so different that what you're feeding yourself and what you're eating and how you, you know, it's epigenetics, like the environment around you is going to influence what you're growing in your gut, right? So that's super important. Right. So I'm actually, I always have to bring in my favorite topic, blood sugar. So when we, <laughs> I always think of fibers, we have to be careful too, right? We want to use fiber products that don't raise blood sugar that are not empty carbohydrates in a lot of ways. Yeah, I'm, I'm talking about complex carbohydrates, not refined <laughs> What And what do you think about, and people ask me this, about raw food versus cooked food and, and using that when, you're, when your digestion is off. Do you have any thoughts on that? So raw vegetables, you mean? Correct. Raw, like, that's like going to be horrible on your stomach, like terrible. Um, I mean, they're fibrous foods, right? Like, so the high fiber. Yeah, but it's way, you can still get so much bang out of your buck by steaming, just steaming the veggie, you know, throw some awesome, like extra virgin olive oil or avocado oil on it, some spices and eat it that way. But most people, um, you know, you you hear all the time, broccoli makes me gassy, cauliflower makes me do it. Like, people feel horrible eating raw, the raw form. It's very, very hard to break down and digest. And that's another thing. A lot of us don't 
have enough of the enzymes, the digestive enzymes that we need. So I, I always say that, you know, the best way is to steam it. Although in my house, that doesn't always go over so well. So I might, you know, roast it a little bit um, because it's just important to get it in, I feel like, to my kids so that they get something nutritious and good for them, right? So. No, I agree with you. But the reason I bring it up is because, again, sometimes fibers are hard to digest, right? So when things are fibrous and they're outside shells, can be yeah. difficult for people to digest. And when you remove some of the water content and break down some of the lectins in, in some of the fiber shells, foods are much more easily digested. And we started talking about before histamine. So which which kind of histamine one reset uh, medication or supplements? So, no, so listen, some of my patients that, you know, like that are acute, like really super sick in the beginning, I will put them on, you know, um, Allegra, you know, 183 times a day if I have to. I always add Pepsid. Uh, you know, at least 20 milligrams twice a day as well. Um, and then I'll move over to the um, the more natural, like a dehis that has the, you know, quercetin is a natural mast cell stabilizer, um, antihistamine. Some people can't tolerate it as well in big, as, in, as in big of doses, but at least getting like 250 or 250 BID, I always say to eat it with food. It's much better absorbed with food, the quercetin, if you can. Um, and then, yeah, the dehis has, a, a, you probably know, Keith, I forget. Single the nettles, the single nettles. Yeah, and nettles, also I like, right. And I like using quercetin with bromelain together, that combination oftentimes right. together as right. a right. I will say bromelain, while it's wonderful and great, and you know, Thorne even makes a uh, makes a makes I I use their quercetin phytosome, but they make a quercetin quercetinase, which has the quercetin and the and the bromelain in it. Bromelain will tend to irritate people's stomach sometimes, so I definitely tell them to eat with it for sure because it can really bother them and maybe sometimes stir up some reflux and things like that. So you just want to be a little careful if you happen to be one of those people that are sensitive to the bromelain, that's all. And, and so it's interesting. So quercetin is another wonder nutrient, right? We have it in our prevention protocol in our treatment protocol and our gut repair protocol, <laughs> all of the above have an effect. So yeah. the other one I always think about, and we've been talking more about is low dose naltrexone. And oh, in fact, um, love LD. I was going to bring that up and I forgot. <laughs> of course you did. <laughs> so no, LD, listen, LDN in one of these papers I was reading too, they talked about it in treatment of mast cell for mast cell activation syndrome, right? And LDN in general just has a global anti-inflammatory effect and really uh, reduces a lot of these, um, you know, interleukins, TNF-alpha, uh, and then there was there was a big, um, you know, one of the biggest studies was done on uh, fibromyalgia, chronic fibromyalgia patients, and they showed like it was like ten different uh, cytokines that LDN, you know, acts acts upon and really does a great job uh, lowering. And I just think it LDN is great for so many different things, and it works great for these people with underlying, you know, MCAS. It works great for people with autoimmune issues. It works amazing uh, for anybody, you know, the, you know, cause a lot of these long haulers who have the chronic fatigue component, pain, like chronic pain, chronic fatigue, all that stuff LDN works great for. So it's part of our protocol and everybody because it's so safe 
and so well tolerated. And Keith, I'm sure you'll elaborate on this, but of course we, through our, you know, use of it, you know, with the patients like that have underlying maybe SIRS, mold issues, Lyme, they're going to be maybe a little more sensitive to it. So we go low, go slow, and we get patients up on it, but it's such an amazing integral part of the protocol and it helps so many people, so many people. So it's really interesting prior to COVID for mast cell activation syndrome, it probably was the first line medication for me using. I mean, it's really interesting medication. It actually, it was actually developed as naltrexone in higher doses, it's actually an opioid antagonist. Right. And, and I, I've actually sort of started using it for, for diet for, um, to prevent people from overeating. And what happens at low doses, it's actually very potent anti-inflammatory, interesting enough. But it, what's so great about it, it not only affects the cytokines, as Robin and someone had said, interleukin-6, which is kind of the conductor of the cytokines, but also histamine as well. But even more important, it really has great impact in crossing the blood-brain barrier. So you're able to really have a really good impact on what we call neural inflammation, which is really terrific. And also the other aspect, because it works on something called the toll receptors, it seems to have a very positive effect on things like Epstein-Barr virus, which we're seeing more and more reactivated herpes viruses, post-COVID, post-spike protein damage or long haulers. So it's really, I mean, what happens, what's really interesting, someone mentioned, you know, they got headaches with quercetin. One thing we do find, oftentimes the sicker someone is, the slower you have to treat them. And you, you have to go much slower because the more inflammation that's there, when you try and attack it, the body sometimes reacts to that. And what I find we've often do is we'll start a dose and scale back a little bit until they to- someone tolerates it and then slowly increase it again. Also, I I can't believe I failed to mention, but LDN is also great for gut health. (laughs) And, you know, we use it for patients with inflammatory bowel disease, ulcerative colitis. So it really has such a wide um, range of activity and what it can do for you. It's And it's, like I said, super safe. And I read a study on depression today and they used it for for treatment resistant depression, actually, because it's it's fact on the uh, opioid receptors. So. Doctors, yeah. we have a lot of questions, um, and uh, there are quite a few things that, um, if you're ready to take them, I'd, I'd like to uh, get to. Okay, one, I have to tell you, we have some people who really, really, really want to know what the probiotic is that you <laughs> use, Dr. Rose. And, you know, that then they're suspicious that you're not using a brand name or telling them because you want them to buy them through you. And oh. <laughs> you got people out of the world. No, watching. you can get it through some of my other colleagues. I just, I just started working with the company and it's not, it, they're not, they're not in America. So it's very hard to get it in, but I'm more than happy to, you know, give to dispense it, you know, and Keith's going to probably start doing it as well. So, yeah. Well, you yeah. talked about spore-based probiotics, right? That you want yeah. something that's soil-based that's what it is. Based. Yeah. That's mm-hmm. really the critical. It's called Rhizo. It's called Rhizo Health. R8, like from the rhizosphere. Because, I, I all right. So I'll give you a little background really fast because it's super interesting. Go, go up, go up and read Rhizo Health. Okay. Um, it's super annoying to get in. So just so you all know. <laughs> It is not easy. And the only reason why I've taken this upon myself is because I'm so super passionate about it and I want to help as many people as I can. Um, so, cause you have to, it's all custom this that don't ask anyway. Um, it's, 
basically through urbanization, industrialization, deforestation, we are not in contact with the forests and the soil and the things that we should be breathing in that we used to breathe in called humus, right? The earth. And so as a result, we're missing many of these soil-based organisms from our gut microbiome. And it's likely the fact that we are missing these is what's contributing to the epidemic of chronic disease in this country that's evolved, you know, rapidly since industrialization and the things that we have done to our environment. So I am super passionate about this specific uh, type of, I don't even know, pro, so I, just wanna, I don't know, it's a pro, it is a probiotic, but you know, this, tr- this wonderful treatment, because it has so many different actions and the soil based organisms uh, through quorum sensing and understand, they understand how to speak to your other biomes, like how to speak to your skin biome, how to speak to your lung biome, how to speak to your vaginal biome, how to, you know, so it's, they're, they're very special, like these types of soil based organisms. So, well, you know, ivermectin is soil based, came out of the soil. Right. From that a golf course area near Tokyo, <laughs> right? right? That is right. That and you know ivermectin, you know, has really unique properties on the gut, right? And yeah. you know, there are functional doctors out there that use high dose ivermectin to treat Crohn's disease with very good success. So yes, it sort of is part of that spectrum of what we're talking about. Um, but you know, it. it the, these types of probiotics are super, you know, super powerful, great for our health, our overall health and restoring health and balance to the gut microbiome with, without having to use like 20 different supplements or 20 different things. So that's but why people can also buy spore based probiotics. They are yeah. available. microbiome okay. labs. Some right. of them a couple other yeah. Ones. I mean, I use microbiome labs products too, but Okay. Uh, Deb wants to know, are histamines associated with hot flashes and high sugar? Is that for me? I guess. <laughs> Whoever wants it. Take it yeah. I have my, I have my feelings on it, but yes, that. <laughs> so, yes. Any kind, so, so let's back up. So when, when you're inflamed, it can actually impact blood sugar regulation. So blood sugar regulation also can impact hot flashes and night sweats. So we know people with an with a dysregulated blood sugar can often get hot flashes, definitely. And histamines, any kind of inflammatory process is going to cause oftentimes a glucose spike and lead to maybe more insulin production and cause more blood glucose dysregulation or imbalance. Somebody, somebody just wrote across the screen, is kimchi okay? I have to, <laughs> I have to say something about that. So the fermented foods like kimchi, sauerkraut, kombucha, while they're amazing for your gut, if you have a histamine issue, they're not your friend. They're going to exacerbate whatever is going on with you. So until you restore health and balance to that gut microbiome and get the right species living there, I would stay away from the fermented foods and no then pickles. You start to reintroduce them. Pickles. Correct. Too, yes, no pickles. No. <laughs> I would stay away. It's, it will likely exacerbate your symptoms. Oh, all right. Um, You're welcome, Elizabeth. <laughs> <laughs> Carol wants to know, is it true that the flu vaccine for this year has components from the COVID vaccine in it? That could be you. <laughs> oh my. Well, there is one in development by, I think, Moderna that's doing a bi- bivalent flu oh, that, vaccine. Oh. 
I don't think it's out yet. And I, you know, I haven't read much more than that, but that's one thing that's been in development. Okay. So a question from someone who's known as big 10 is mm-hmm. poor microbiome diversity directly linked to allergic response, eczema flares, or atopic dermatitis? A thousand percent. If that It's well studied a thousand percent. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I think Robin, why don't you explain also that one of the problems also with COVID. Oh, look, Evelyn from New York City said healthy and gave her her life back. Go ahead. Destruction <laughs> of the diversity, which is also important as well. That's another thing we see as well that oftentimes people have and what that means. Yeah. So here's the thing. Unless you're a cow and you live in a bubble and you eat grass all day, you're definitely going to have some sort of intestinal permeability, leaky gut, or dysbiosis or imbalance of the gut microbiome. You just are because everything that we're exposed to on a daily basis, from the tap water you drink to the alcohol you drink to the antibiotics you take, the non-steroidal antiinflammatories like Aleve, ibuprofen, Advil for your headache, you know, to the air that we breathe in. And I can name 20 other things. Oh, refined sugars kill your gut microbiome on a daily basis. This, it kills off. So that gut microbiome is in such a dynamic state and is always changing and is so subjected to epigenetics, like meaning how we adapt to and you react to the world around us. And so you, a lot of people have poor diversity or what's called alpha diversity. They do because of between the standard American diet and how they live their life. Okay. Even stress, lack of sleep changes um, your microbial diversity. So so people, when they move right from one place to another, often can get into trouble with eating new foods. If they're, if it's different diversity, well, they're not used to. And I see that a lot in patients that people that grew up in say for Europe, for example, and well, that's called beta diversity. right. So that's <laughs> what, right. So alpha diversity is your is like Robin's or Keats, like unique, you know, microbial blueprint. Like how many species? So we're we're colonized with hundred trillion organisms plus in our gut. Okay, from bacteria, viruses, fungi, these guys called archaea all of these different species, parasites, but the vast majority are bacteria. And so the bacteria need to be in balance and you need to have, you know, you have friendly and you have unfriendly bacteria, but you want to have enough of the good keystone species, okay, over the pathogens because those keystone species are keeping the bad guys in check. We're all going to have some bad guys in our gut, but That being said, with the amount that there is, there's only about 250 known species. And so you want to have as many of those species as possible. That's called alpha diversity, okay? Many people um, post-COVID, post-vaccine, their alpha diversity has been destroyed. This This has been, you know, through observational studies and some other studies that have been done. So their alpha diversity is low. Your beta diversity is the bacteria you pick up from where you live in the environment you're around. So for example, like if you're, if you have a, if you're talking about beta diversity on a scale of one to 10, and let's say you're an eight, right. And then all of a sudden I moved to the Amazon rainforest and you checked my beta, like you looked at my beta diversity, it'd be like close 
to zero because I never lived there. Like I don't, I don't live there. I don't speak to those people. I don't breathe that air. I don't walk in their soil. So I'm not colonized with those bacteria, right? Those people have a different blueprint than I do. So that's what your beta diversity is. But you want to have as a high of an alpha diversity as possible because that's what keeps you healthy. You need that diversity in all those different bacteria because they all have different jobs and they're all doing different things for us. Like whether it's our for our immune system, our metabolic health, our brain health, all these different things. So sorry, I went off on a little tangent, but. <laughs> I want to get two more questions in quickly here before we, sure. because we're running out of time. Um, one person, Ari asked to prevent a leaky gut is a lectin-free diet important? He's been reading things from that doctor who advertises so well on. Yeah, so <laughs> lectins can, here's the thing. Everybody's different, right? And some people are sensitive to lectins and some people aren't. But I don't necessarily think just because you have lectins in your diet that you're going to destroy your gut microbiome, right? Again, it's all about mo- you know moderation and balance. And again, like I said earlier, building that plate that way so that you're giving the gut bacteria the fuel that they need to thrive and survive and make all those postbiotics or metabolites that we need to keep us really healthy. And actually that's where cooking comes in, right? If you're cooking food, that actually makes it much easier to tolerate. And the last question is from Suzanne. My mother has mast cell activation syndrome from the booster shot she took. Mm-hmm. Her doctor thinks she may have something called cold agglutinin. Do you know anything about that? She had tiny blood clots that erupt all over her body every day, and she has constant itching. Itching, yeah. You want to go first, Keith, or you want me to answer? You, you want to. You're already smiling. No. <laughs> heard of it. You know, again, another you it's know, an autoimmune, autoimmune phenomenon that's triggered. Yes, sure, it's mast cell, you know, related, you know, but again, like I was explaining how the this S1, these fragments of the S1 spike, and that's right. So when we're talking about long hauler COVID, we understand that the pathophysiology of the disease in both the people that get injured after the vaccine and in long hauler COVID from the acute infection, that S1 spike that we keep is the probably the primary driver because of all the things we just talked about earlier too. And that S1 spike is basically inducing an antibody response. And then those antibodies then see bind to uh, the antigen. And then that triggers the mast cell to then release all, all the things that it releases. And then def- depending on what you're genetically set up to express is what happens to you. So I'll say two seconds and I'll end it. So with the itching, it also could be liver related. So one of the other areas where the S1 spike really has a problematic effect is on the liver. So liver dysfunction can also lead to itching, especially if there's itching without a reaction. 